The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. After the United States, it is Germany and the UK that are delivering the most weapons to Ukraine, and we will continue to do so. This is not a plan. It is a recipe for economic catastrophe. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. I never know all about his resume or not, but I always had a few questions. To this inflection point, we know there's a lot of work that has to continue on economic justice, civil rights, voting rights, protecting our democracy. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Corporations are trusted more than government, according to new research. But will they dance again with Republicans? Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as business and government collide in Davos. We consider what political parties can learn from corporate boardrooms and whether the GOP's public feud with corporate messaging will end. We're joined by Lester Munson of government relations firm BGR Group in just a moment. Is Germany about to step up military support for Ukraine? Bloomberg News speaking exclusively with Chancellor Olaf Scholz. We'll have more with the head of our national security team, Nick Wadhams. An analysis from our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano back with us for the hour. Governor Ron DeSantis may have made best use of Republicans' perceived divorce with corporate America when he went after Walt Disney over the state's don't-say-gay law. In fact, he's still talking about it. Here's DeSantis after a federal judge ruled in favor of the administration over the so-called Stop Woke Act. Listen. The bill that we're signing is called the Stop Woke Act. And the reason what it stands for, woke, is stop wrongs against our kids and Employees Act. Because unfortunately, you've seen employees, mostly working for major Fortune 500 companies, that get subjected to this same type of ideology. Remembering the amount of news coverage and money that Ron DeSantis got over his war with Disney. It was a political win. Uh, But we turn to the latest Edelman Trust Barometer put out annually by public relations firm Edelman. It finds employers are better trusted than government or elected officials, and by a lot. It was released to coincide with Davos, and it got me thinking how many times we have noted business stepping in to do what government could not over the past year, past couple of years. Just consider consider what's happened with space travel. So is there a limit to the DeSantis approach, or does this public split continue the newsletter popular information questions whether the so-called divorce of republicans in corporate america was ever actually real and it makes the point quite effectively by picking through the guest list for a major fundraiser next month for kevin mccarthy also looks inside his inner circle looks pretty old school corporate america and so we start our conversation with lester munson principal at government relations firm bgr group he's former staff director of the senate foreign relations committee And no stranger here uh, to sound on. Lester, thanks for being with us. There's a lot to learn here in this Edelman report. I wonder if you see DeSantis and those like him, those with the populist agenda who are getting a lot of news coverage as part of this conversation 
Or do people not see him as an, a so-called elected official because he's some sort of rogue? Well, I think we need to distinguish between uh, kind of specific episodes and then more general attitudes. So in the in the Florida case, you know, it was actually Disney yeah. that start that kind of dove in and decided they were going to get involved in the public policy debate over this uh, the state government initiative. And DeSantis pushed back. So he was kind of reacting to their intervention. You've you've seen other times when politicians, particularly Republicans, it seems like lately, have uh, have kind of gone after the business community uh, without being provoked necessarily. By the way, Democrats do this also. And I think back to the example of uh, Major League Baseball pulling Mm -hmm. the All-Star game out of Atlanta when sure. voting rights was was the big conversation. But it's, and, it's and been more noteworthy that. for Republicans because of the party's longstanding uh, relationship, very close relationship with corporate America, right? It was typically the Democrats who were trying to shame companies and Republicans who were backing them up. Well, that's totally that's totally fair. And I and I as a as a Republican, I do get concerned when we start uh, generalizing about big corporations or the Chamber of Commerce or these kinds of things. I think well, yep. why, why are we doing that? We like companies. We like private enterprise. We like, uh, you know, the dynamism of the market and those things. And let's let's not do anything to to kind of degrade that enthusiasm. I don't I don't like that. But at the mm-hmm. same time, you know, Republicans have always been for lower taxes, less regulation, more of a kind of a hothouse environment for business and let businesses go where they want to go. Now these social issues pop up, and and I'm I'm not sure it was it's totally new. It does seem to be more intense now, where Republicans are are complaining about about mm-hmm. companies getting involved in these social policy debates. Not totally new, but you know the the thing that bothers me is when we get these generalities. Oh well, you're just a corporate. You're just supporting corporate America. Like, well, what's wrong right. with supporting corporate America? <laughs> that's that's what our economy is based on uh, in, yeah. in large measure. So it brings us back to the whole uh, Mitt Romney uh, moment. Is a company a per- the same thing as a person? Uh, the, the, but in this in this research, business holds a 54 point lead over government in terms of competence, a 30 point lead in terms of ethics. That's both parties here, Lester. What are what does Washington need to learn from the corporate boardroom on both of these issues? Well, I think it's not like know, companies kind of aren't out to make money. That's what they're here for. Yeah. Well, but you highlighted a, a recent success, right? SpaceX and these other private companies are showing you can you can launch stuff into space, including people mm-hmm. relatively cheaply, efficiently, safely. Uh, and it's terrific. And they're they're doing better than when the government tries to do it itself. Same thing with vaccines. The Trump administration had Operation Warp Speed. We unleashed private pharmaceutical companies to go produce vaccines. And they did it in less than a year. It was amazing. Uh, probably saved uh, millions or hundreds of thousands of lives. Really incredible stuff. So there's... Yeah. There's recent examples of companies sure. doing things that government maybe not in a, maybe isn't in a, in a good position to do. Ethics, though, is another matter here, right? Competence is one thing. Ethics is another. When we're talking about uh, people in charge of public policy or the institutions themselves, that's a real problem. This report uh, found that people trust what they see in their company's newsletter more than what they're hearing from the government, which brings us back to the pandemic, for instance. Uh, I don't know how I don't know how you govern under conditions like that, particularly if it keeps getting worse. It's hard. We're we're really an evenly divided country politically. Everything seems to be politicized now from 
where the baseball game is to mm-hmm. what you think about vaccines to, you know, you name it, the issue is going to become politicized. It's almost it, it doesn't take more than a couple of hours for something to turn into a debate on Twitter and then on other social media platforms and then even in the newspaper. So I think I think people get a little little tired of that and they see kind of our politicians, you know, uh, up close and personal, you know, multiple times a day, not necessarily doing their best. You know, we had some fumbles on the covid response uh, kind of across the board that could have been better uh, from government. So there there have been episodes of concern lately. So I don't think it's totally irrational that uh, Americans are turning to business where you know, if you don't like the company, you don't have to buy the product anymore or you right, don't right. have you can sell the stock. I mean, there's a, there's a way to show uh, how you feel about it. It's a little, there's a, there's you know, a way out a little bit harder. Sure. Yeah, but in, in a democracy, you got to wait for the election. Don't people trust companies as well, though, because they have to make money from from all people. They, they can't pick favorites when they're in the business of of making a profit. They can't tell what motivations are behind most politicians. Well, I, I've, I I always recall the uh, stage uh, business guru, Michael Jordan, uh, who said back in 1985, uh, when people were asking him why he didn't get more involved in politics, he said, well, Republicans buy sneakers, too. Uh, you know, at the end at the end of the day, uh, businesses got should be marketing to everyone. Try to stay out of the political fights. I think that's a smart move for business. Uh, some of them. Uh, needed to be reminded of that lately. But mm. by and large, you know, businesses want to sell stuff. They want to make money. Good for them. Fascinating. Great to talk to you. Lester Munson with his view from the government relations firm BGR Group as we get things started on Bloomberg Sound On. Earlier today on Bloomberg from Davos, I mentioned this research was put out to coincide with the economic forum. Uh, the the head of of the and the namesake of the firm Rick Edelman was on with uh, Tim and Carol. Listen to his point on this uh, conclusion that they found. People really want CEOs to continue to speak up on societal issues. I know that there's been pushback on CEOs since Governor DeSantis on Disney and also um, you know the Texas pension funds in West Virginia, but our study is very clear we want ceos to speak up on sustainability diversity and inclusion also on wages and reskilling and on geopolitics like russia other issues you can leave edelman ceo richard edelman from davos on bloomberg business week earlier let's assemble the panel uh, curious to hear from uh, both rick davis and Jeannie shanzano as ever bloomberg politics contributors rick you've straddled politics and business i don't know if that's the right word i should say you've worked in both because i think they were two different chapters in your career so you really understand the way they coincide you've seen it from both sides here i wonder uh, your thoughts on what politicians can learn from executives now remember it was fat cats and suits we weren't supposed to trust although maybe that played for politicians as well but it seems like a turning of the tide here uh, that politicians might be able to still get their arms around. Yeah, Joe, you're right. I mean, for most of my career, I would tell lots of bankers, oh, there's no way for a banker to get elected into politics. I mean, you guys, their <laughs> image is so bad. Um, and, and, and now I think it's, it's the arc of change, right? I mean, you know, throughout most of the uh, first half of the century so far, it's been advantage government, right? And, mm-hmm. and it's not that they're popular, uh, but they were seen, I think, by most people as problem solvers, people who could get things done. That has changed over the last 20 years, maybe 25 years. And 
and where politicians are now an obstruction to getting anything done. And 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 the flip side of that is um, corporate America has sort of gotten in touch with its roots. I mean, you know, when you're in the sales business, you're selling to people and people's views matter on a host of these issues. Uh, and you operate in a world that is challenged by climate issues and, and you have a stake in that, if not just to manage your risk. And so all of a sudden, the people who look like they're solving problems are the business community and not the political community. And I, I've, you can see it happening over time. I see nothing changing that in the near term. Uh, it, in fact, you've seen many more people from the business community start to go into politics than ever before. How about that? Uh, and, and because they, they I think, want to be able to transition the experience they've had in the, in the C-suite to trying to get Washington back on track. Well, and that's, of course, what they say. I suppose Donald Trump, the, the Donald Trump is the ultimate example of that. Genie people say, well, at least they did something other than just sit around in, in Washington. But, but that's, that's also more than a competence issue or an ethical issue. The, the, the way that, uh, that we're looking at corporations uh, is, is probably better than ever, as, as Rick just articulated pretty well. Uh, politicians may be worse. Think of what people just watched on the House floor with Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, but I'm going to take an opposite view in defense of our politics and politicians and take a historical context here. You know, our system was built on distrust of government. James Madison saw government as a necessary evil. So to me, the results of the Edelman survey, even going back several years, are not at all a surprise. This is how, in the United States, at least in most democracies, the system is built. A commitment to liberty is a commitment to small government because government is best that does the least. And that is true across the board, Republicans and Democrats. So I'm not at all surprised that people are distrustful of government because that was the way our system was designed and has operated for over 200 years. Now, yeah, sure, you can have ebbs and flows in that, and we have seen some of that, but I don't see this as remarkably different than the way our system was constructed to begin with. And government is necessary, and it does not always operate the way we hope, but it is something that I think we have to give some historical context to because this is the way our founding fathers and mothers created the system to distrust government. These results weren't always the case, though, right? I mean, to be trusting uh, someone who's there to make a profit as opposed to serving the public, uh, that that is a shift here and, and not in favor of Washington. Yeah, you know, it it is a shift. You do see some shifts in these numbers. But the reality is, is what did our framers commit to most? Liberty to own property. It was a commitment to liberty of economic liberty above all other liberties. They wanted people to believe in the private sector. They wanted people to believe in business and corporations. So, you know, to me, this is not wildly out of keeping with what our framers. This feels American to to you, you're saying. It feels incredibly American to me. Now, do I want people to trust government. I wish we had more faith in it, <laughs> but our framers didn't. So it doesn't surprise me that we remain suspicious today. Well, it's trending pretty well for corporate America here. Uh, Rick, when we consider the Ron DeSantis sort of war on on at least several corporations, you can you can pick one if you want, whether it's over ESG or what he considers woke policy, uh, BlackRock, Disney. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting collection here. Uh, does that continue in a fundraising season? Does that continue uh, on on his behalf because he just does it well, or does it does it kind of depend on which politician we're talking about? Well, I would certainly think it it lasts through the primaries. If he runs for president, he's going to need to energize the Trump base 
and and they've been drinking from this fire hose for four or five years, right? And so, you know, when you look at the demographics of rural white males without college educations who have a suspicion for anything institutional, they hate government and they hate corporations. And and so, sure, he's going to use these uh, culture uh, wars to fuel a primary campaign. Uh, whether he can then pivot from that. And sound more mainstream because certainly that, you know, some of these culture wars scare the bejesus out of, you know, suburban voters who yeah. he'll need. But he can he still draw corporate money by beating up on corporate America. Oh, yeah. He's going to raise a lot of money for that because, again, a lot of that money is small donor. Uh, it's not the big donors. Those are the guys in the C-suites. Mm-hmm. And and yet you look at how the Republican Party has shifted how it raises money. It's from the $15, $25 a week subscriptions that Donald Trump made incredibly popular and have fueled the growth of the party since then. It's not the big donor uh, it's it's really the small donor. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of one of these cases where be careful what you ask for. Everybody's been saying for years, oh, my God, we really ought to have a broader base of fundraising support. Uh-huh. You know, but the net effect of that is, you know, we take a constituency like corporate America and we say, hey, we're going to flush it down the toilet because, you right. know, we can find money from somewhere else. It's not wow. just all about money. Uh, there is a culture war going on in the United States. But I would say just one short note. The reason yeah. you have government regulation is Ten because seconds. corporations weren't trusted. Well, there it is from Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. I don't know how much further they can push it. We'll find out together here. Advantage business until further notice. We turn to Ukraine next. The promise of new armor. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. But will they send the tanks? The big question for Germany right now, and specifically Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who spoke exclusively today with Bloomberg News in talks, he says, with allies over potentially supplying heavy tanks to Ukraine. They're called leopard tanks, battle tanks that would go to Kiev in the event uh, that fighting intensifies in the spring. But there's no real commitment. Our editor-in-chief, John Micklethwaite, asked him directly today on Bloomberg. Here's, here's Chancellor Schultz. It is that we are discussing with our friends, with our allies, with the United States, what is the right thing to do. And it is nothing for public debate. I think it's something where we have to work on. And uh, so far, we did a lot, as all are realizing. And what we are doing is on the forefront of support of Ukraine. And uh, let's be this the basis for the decisions that we will have to take in in the next uh, weeks and months. Okay, so we're not sure yet. We're in talks. Think of that answer and and the contrast here with the prime minister of the Netherlands. The Dutch step up to support Ukraine. Prime Minister Mark Rutte in Washington today, where he met with President Biden. They sat down in the Oval and there were some questions about whether they would, in fact, commit to sending Patriot defense systems or a defense system to Ukraine. The answer is yes. Here's the prime minister in the Oval Office. I'm convinced that history will judge that in 2022, if the United States 
would not have stepped up like you did. That things would have been very different at the moment. U.S. and Germany in recent weeks each pledged to send the Patriots, which go a long way to what President Zelensky calls closing the skies. Joining us uh, to talk about where we stand here and what might come from Germany is Nick Wadhams, the head of Bloomberg's national security team. Fascinating conversation uh, today, Nick, looking at the chancellor of Germany and and thinking of him as a wartime leader, uh, but tough to get answers on some very specific issues like this one. Do you think they eventually send that armor? Uh, it's a great question. I think there that it is definitely headed that way. I mean, there is so much pressure on Western nations to re- get over their reticence about supplying tanks. Um, the U.S. I think is much farther off, given that the Abrams tank, which is its main battle tank, yeah. uh, is just uh, crazy expensive. It it burns huh. three gallons of fuel per mile. So we're not talking wow. about miles per gallon. We're talking <laughs> about gallons per mile. It's basically, yeah. as one analyst told me, essentially a jet engine strapped into a, a huge bunch of armor. So there would be real logistical and maintenance and supply challenges for the U.S. tanks, but uh, it's not quite as bad for the Leopard, the German tank. I mean, it should be noted that Germany, like the U.S., has really pushed the envelope on weapons so far. The, mm-hmm. uh, last week, or we, we heard they would supply armored vehicles, uh, the Martyr, just as the U.S. is supplying Bradley. So you've really seen a fundamental shift in the way that Western nations think about supplying Ukraine and being willing to uh, provide them with much uh, more offensive weaponry. You can almost see Schultz sort of grinding through this, you know, mm-hmm. as he's thinking about how I'm going to answer this question and and what is a, a real challenge for him uh, right now. But but to your point, you can kind of see how this ends. Why is there so much reluctance each time another level is requested? Well, I mean, you have to remember how far things have gone from the beginning, which was, you know, initially there was fear about providing uh, shoulder-fired missiles because there was there was worry that if you if a Ukrainian soldier shot a U.S. supplied Stinger at a Russian jet, then that could potentially escalate into a conflict that pulled in NATO. So. What you've seen is the progressive willingness to supply more and more amid the recognition that I think what they're saying is that Ukraine now does have the capability to take back the territory it lost from February 24th. Russia's actions, they say, are so egregious against civilians, against Ukrainian infrastructure, and the floodgates are basically open. They do not believe there's going to be a wider war between NATO and uh, Russia, and they are just going to give Ukraine everything it needs. But it does feel like every time we come to this thing, is it going to be patriots? No, we'll never provide. Oh, no, now we're going to provide patriots. Is it going to be tanks? And I suspect what what Schultz is, is, is doing there is basically those discussions are really happening, and they're probably at a very delicate stage. He doesn't want to get ahead of that. Um, but it, it does seem very much like Germany uh, is headed in that direction. Nick Wadhams runs uh, Bloomberg's national security team. Nick, thank you. It's great to have you back uh, with us on Sound On, as always. The panel's thoughts on this. We've talked about every stage of this. Now we're at the point of, of committing tanks. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano Uh, are here. And by the way, Rick, we're talking about uh, dozens of German-made Leopard tanks if they decide to do this. Would that be a game changer? 
Uh, it certainly would um, uh, from the perspective of the new war, right? I mean, like it wasn't a few months ago where you say, oh, winter's going to hit. It's going to be too cold to fight. You know, nobody's going to be yeah. out there. And that was exactly wrong, right? Um, you could almost make an argument that every major stage of this war, the public <laughs> uh, scrutiny on it has been absolutely wrong. And and so we see this ravaging fighting, uh, mm-hmm. you know, between Ukraine and Russian forces. And absolutely, these tanks, uh, when you're in this in-close kind of combat uh, are really a necessary item. And and I, I would point out the Brits are sending tanks. I mean, they made it really clear yes, after right. Olaf's uh, uh, conversation today that, hey, we're, we're sending tanks. Why aren't those guys mm-hmm. sending tanks? And, 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 and I just think that, that it, we've talked about this so many times over the course of almost one year anniversary of this war, is that, that, that I think we got to listen to the Ukrainians. If the Ukrainians need certain kinds of material, then we should supply them for it instead of doing this drip, drip, drip. Yeah, uh, right. Exactly what Nick was just talking about, right? Oh, well, you know, we're not going to give them shoulder-fired stuff. Well, now we're giving them, you know, it much happens more every sophisticated time. weaponry. I mean, like, let's just give them what they need to win. And I think that would tell us where you need to go on things like uh, tanks and, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, uh, and, and frankly, you know, let's get back to the skies. Where's that F-16? I mean, oh, man. we talk about that every month and every yep. month it's like, oh, no, that would be an escalation. Uh-huh. Uh, who's escalating this fight, us or them? Pretty hard to escalate it from here, uh, uh, Jeannie. There were a lot of questions today at the White House. The press secretary got a few about uh, whether the president would be directly involved here, whether he needs to start twisting arms, namely uh, a guy named Schultz. Uh, to send the tanks, but he's gotten a lot of credit for actually not taking that approach so far. How does he balance this? Yeah, I I think he is probably going to have to engage in that behind the scenes. Certainly, you wouldn't want to do that publicly. But the reality is, is that this does need to be decided. And the impasse broken by the Brits is critically important in this regard. And Germany and others have to follow suit because the reality is this war cannot continue like this in the spring. There's got to be a break. The Ukrainians are telling us how they can break this, Mm. and that is going to require action. And so I think behind the scenes, the Biden administration is certainly working towards this, although I'm not sure it's something they should be talking about negotiating publicly. There's a new defense minister that's coming in in Germany, uh, which is important following a high profile resignation. You wonder, Rick, if that gets the gears turning as well. He's going to be meeting later this week, an important meeting on Friday uh, with our own secretary of defense, Lloyd Austin. Yeah, this is uh, we're we're running up to a big NATO meeting, and and so you see the 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 positioning that all these governments are taking, uh, and this is really critical because, as uh, Jeannie points out, you know this could be an inflection point in the war in Ukraine, yeah, and 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 you can tell just by the the public comments by these world leaders, both defense ministers and 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 uh, presidents and prime ministers that. Uh, they see this as a critical juncture. And so, yeah, I mean, even, uh, uh, you know, Major Milley, who, or General Milley, who, uh, you know, actually met with his counterpart just, you know, uh, th- this week to um, to talk about his counterpart from the Ukraine, to talk about what their needs are on the yeah. battleground itself, uh, is just a lead up to big decisions being made. And, and I do think the Germans are probably going to hold their fire, uh, literally, uh, and, until the NATO meeting and make their splash if they do uh, make a decision to to put more equipment to work. So I think all these European countries have banded together. I mean, kudos to them, right? And we never thought that NATO would respond in the way it has. Uh, increase in, in military spending like Germany's done, uh, Britain, uh, you know, uh, 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 new members in NATO. I, it's it, it actually really does give you confidence 
that big bullies like Russia uh, yeah. can't get away with their tactics. Well, that's right. Uh, then again, uh, we're, we are coming up on a year. We're going to be marking the first anniversary of this war genie. And, and boy, the conversation that we're having here does not make it sound like it's going to end anytime soon. Yeah, and, and I think that is one of the critical reasons why they really need to move forward in, in terms of getting Ukraine what it needs. I mean, we have been having this conversation as have so many people for so long now, and the reality is a stalemate come the spring is in nobody's interest. And so they've got to give Ukraine what it needs. Ukraine has proven that it can take this fight to Russia if it has the proper equipment, and that is what we have an obligation to supply to it so that a year from now, we're not sitting here in the same position, or more importantly, Ukraine is not sitting there in the same position, and this could move to a some kind of conclusion. Fascinating conversation, as always. Uh, Rick and Jeannie, thank you, and Nick Wadhams as well from our Washington, D.C. Bureau. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We still do not know exactly what deals, all the deals struck behind the scenes when Kevin McCarthy was working to become speaker. But we did learn of one over the weekend, over the debt limit, not on how to raise it, but a contingency plan in case we actually hit the ceiling. The Washington Post reports the plan is still preliminary in terms of its being drafted and, and detailed. Almost certain a call on the Treasury Department to keep making interest payments on debt but would call on the Biden administration to make only the most critical federal payments if, in fact, we got to this point. Prioritizing spending is something that Karine Jean-Pierre, the press secretary at the White House, uh, did not need to be asked about today. It was part of her opening remarks. Listen. This so-called prioritization scheme makes Republicans' priorities pretty clear, crystal clear, if I may add. They want to put wealthy bondholders over ordinary Americans who want safe food, safe skies, safe communities, and secure borders. And it does not—it does nothing, absolutely nothing, to change the fact that failing to deal with the debt limit would cause economic catastrophe. A prioritization scheme, she calls it. Let's reassemble the panel. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are here. Uh, this is a new wrinkle on the whole debt ceiling conversation. Uh, here, Jeannie, I don't know if it's if it's a if it's a something that could become law. They would have to pass this uh, in the House. I don't know that it would ever go anywhere, but it certainly is giving the White House fodder uh, as they try to stare down Republicans on this issue. It is. And, and, you know, to your point, it is there are so many questions about whether this can actually even be done. We're hearing that there was, you know, talk of doing it. But can the Treasury actually prioritize and pay only some bills, that, you know, some of your bills versus others? Yeah. And then how would they do that and which ones would be paid? And of course, to your point and the reason the press secretary was talking about it today, it raises real challenges. I mean, the reality is the debt ceiling needs to either be suspended or lifted or we need to get rid of it altogether. You simply cannot default on the debt or say we're only going to pay certain parts, you know, certain right. bills. And Kevin McCarthy has to take responsibility for that. And he's going to keep seeing this push from the White House on this until and unless he does. House Republicans, according to the Post, Rick, uh, 
may also stipulate the Treasury Department continue making payments on Social Security, Medicare, and veterans' benefits. It's it's the agencies she's talking about, the FAA. You know, take grab grab one if you want. That apparently would not be part of this plan. Is this real, or is this just to get people like us talking? And I think it's really gamesmanship. I mean, could you imagine the fallout if the government makes a unilateral decision before the debt ceiling does hit that they're going to just stop writing checks? Um, (laughs) They're assuming that the debt ceiling is not going to be done, you know, in time and that we go into a default. So, I mean, it's just a game. Uh, I I think they're, they're, they're sounding a little bit desperate over at the White House. I mean, you know, Kevin McCarthy uh, walks into a press conference and says, hey, I want to have a conversation with the president Mm -hmm. and the other Senate leaders about how we solve this problem before it happens. Well, most normal people think, oh, that sounds reasonable. And then the president's response is, I'm not meeting with that guy. Um, that doesn't sound like a productive uh, outcome for the, the White House this week. And then they come up with this gimmick, which would be to try and force the events of a default uh, onto uh, Congress uh, months before there actually is one. Um you know, I, I got to believe this is advantage McCarthy. I mean, the idea that that somehow nobody wants to talk about this until the last minute makes no sense. And you wonder why the Edelman trust barometer says that the government officials yeah. are so you know much in disdain, held in disdain, because these are the kinds of games that people they'll see some of this in their their living rooms tonight and the news. They'll talk about it, you know, and at work tomorrow. And, 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 and every business, every family has to figure out ways of paying their bills, and, and they can't figure out, the people of America, why Congress can't do the same thing. It's really not as hard as everybody's making it out to be. I, I would say the real question for McCarthy is, is he just posturing or is he really you know, prepared to sit down and talk? And if so, right. why doesn't he present a plan that he would like to get done? I know he's got a few members who prefer that he not even get into this with the Biden administration. But the White House line, uh, Jeannie, as we've played for you repeatedly from Corinne Jean-Pierre, even in the last week, no negotiating. We are not negotiating. She said it more times than I could count again in today's uh, briefing. And, and it's only January. Is that the right line for the White House to take? You know, it, it's. I don't think it's the right line for them to take that they're not going to negotiate. What I would suggest that they say, not that they care, is that we will not let the United States go into default. So we will address this issue however mm-hmm. we can. We will work across the aisle. I mean, that was, after all, Joe Biden's selling point at, through all these campaigns has been he can work across the aisle. That said, politically, they do believe this works for them. Because let's not forget, if Republicans decide that they're going to cap or freeze, they are going to be responsible for dramatic cuts to defense and or discretionary spending of things like Social Security and Medicaid. And Democrats want them to go there politically because they feel that's going to help them in 24. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of gamesmanship on both sides of this. The problem is they're playing with all of our fiscal and economic lives. And I am not as confident as some people seem to be that this is going to be resolved, nor do I believe that Kevin McCarthy can do it unilaterally on behalf of Republicans who are very clearly saying that they don't want him working with Democrats. They apparently, uh, according to this report, left details of the plan unsettled in the initial agreement. Rick, uh, reality check here. Is there any chance this actually becomes law? And if not, this is a non-factor, right? 
Yeah, I can't imagine this becoming law, making it a non-factor. It's a negotiating ploy early on. Yeah. I would say the bright scene, uh, the bright spot in 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 today's discussions is people like Brian Fitzpatrick. You know, a reasonable problem-solving caucus member. Uh, said, look, I'm committed to there being no default. If we have to work out a deal with Democrats, we'll figure out a way to do that. And right. so even though it looks like a strong hand by Kevin McCarthy, he's got a caucus you know, that's behind him to try and get something for this. Um, if it doesn't look like something like that's going to happen, it wouldn't surprise me that a coalition of Republicans and the Democrats you know, can pass the debt limit. And then McCarthy is left hanging out there with nothing. So it, it's, it's a dangerous game. It's all posturing right now. Uh, yes. As you pointed out, Joe, it's, it's relatively early. It's only January. But we're going to see this every single day between <laughs> now and June. Yeah. We're, we got, uh, what, we've got nine months of talking about this? What are we going to hit this thing in September? Jeannie, one thing that Kevin McCarthy also said, and he said it very quickly and kind of uh, quietly kind of mumbled the words, that he, he's going to be uh, giving George Santos or his party will a committee assignment. He will be in fact allowed to serve on committees. Are you surprised to hear it? I am not surprised to hear it, but you know, I don't think Kevin McCarthy feels like he has much of a choice at this point, but boy, you know, this is somebody who is going to have access to top secret information as a member of Congress and a member of a committee. I think it is a dangerous game given what we're hearing. And just to follow up on Rick's point, watch for a discharge petition to come from Democrats and moderate Republicans on this debt ceiling, if they can figure out a way to work together and get that to the floor. And I think that would be a gift, by the way, to Kevin. Kevin McCarthy, because he wouldn't just be able to tell Republicans, hey, yeah. I tried my best, but they got around me, you know. So House he- Committee on Small Business, Rick, what do you think? A plum um, spot? Yeah, maybe even Indian Affairs, even though there are no tribes in his district. But, uh, you know, it. yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think it's a I think it's a legitimate thing to say. you got to put him on a committee until otherwise yeah. the Ethics Committee says he can't serve. Wow. I, President Biden may have given us a glimpse of his re-election speech. It's next on Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden delivered the sermon at Ebenezer Baptist Church Sunday in Atlanta and spoke again yesterday from the National Action Network's Martin Luther King Day Breakfast here in Washington. And while the two speeches had very different tones, different kind of environment, different audience, they carried similar themes, many of which we have been hearing from Biden this uh, past year around the country that sound a lot like the foundation for what may be his re-election campaign. Listen. With this inflection point, we know there's a lot of work that has to continue on economic justice, civil rights, voting rights, and protecting our democracy. And I'm remembering that our job is to redeem the soul of America. The soul of America. It's in all of his speeches, right? That was at Ebenezer on Sunday. He was more animated uh, in the speech on MLK Day at the breakfast. Let's reassemble the panel for a couple of thoughts on this. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis 
are with us. Jeannie, some folks have uh, suggested that we might be talking about a re-election campaign in the near future if it were not for this this classified documents mess, uh, which amazingly we have not mentioned yet in 56 minutes, I don't think. But here we are now, and you wonder if if this is a president who's uh, who's going through the motions here, working through his thoughts that will in fact be the foundation of a re-election campaign, maybe just a little bit later than some thought. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. I was listening to both of the speeches and, you know, he was taking a victory lap on what he's accomplished. He was attacking the Republicans. And to your point, this whole sort of theme of redeem the soul of America seems to be sort of the, you know, early stages of a campaign. So, you know, we we expect he will announce. And I I do think that the scandal has, you know, maybe put that off a bit longer than they wanted. But I'll tell you, I wish he would come to New York and listen to Democrats in New York where Democrats did very badly in the midterm. Because one thing I think he needs to add is crime. Democrats are on defense on crime. It hurt him badly in New York and across other parts of this country. He's got to wrap his head around crime. And I was disappointed not to hear more about it in either speech. And that's something that New York Democrats, at least, have had to wake up to after the big losses in the midterm. Is that something that works its way into this speech, Rick? Because it looks like he's got some time to think about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, his uh, last State of the Union uh, had a big pitch on crime. Uh, I think he gets it uh, probably better than the New York uh, Democrats have, uh, clearly. But um, but I do think it's a broader, you know, you point out a much broader overarching theme. You know, this idea that America's democracy is at risk. Right. We've just gotten through two successful elections and yet our democracy is still at risk um and 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 we know the reasons why but it is interesting that uh will this play as well in 2024 as it did potentially in 2022 which no question uh democracy issues were uh, on the ballot and and democrats successfully navigated them um that being said he has a host of economic challenges uh ahead of him uh, I don't think anybody's underestimating the importance of those to voters. And yet his speeches are almost void of meeting those economic challenges for working class Americans. And that's the part that I'm actually a little bit surprised about because uh, nobody's in the clear. There's still high inflation. Uh, recessions are still being expected. Um, uh, everybody around the world is bracing for this year's economic turmoil. Yeah. And wow. He's not having that conversation with the American people, nor has he pretty much for the most of last year either. Uh, And so I'm not sure. Elections are still primarily the economy stupid, right? And, And I'll be interested to see when he starts to walk out an economic plan for this year. So clearly neither of our panelists here on Sound On think that democracy versus autocracy is at least in itself a winning formula. We'll continue this conversation tomorrow. Sound On brought to you by Innovation Refunds. This is your daily reminder from Innovation Refunds. It's time to take advantage of the newly extended employee retention credit. Innovation Refunds has helped small and medium-sized businesses impacted by COVID claim over $2 billion in refunds. Standing by to help your business get back the money it may be eligible to receive. GetRefunds.com. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.